Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to today's meeting and our, our cool little video that we're gonna have here today. Today, we, we are super blessed to meet with Mr. Tony Stoltzfus. He is a master coach, a coach trainer, a best-selling author, founder of the largest Christian training school, the Christian Coaching Center, and a CEO. He's all around an amazing guy, and I've read a couple of the books and seen a lot of the videos he has, and, and it's super awesome. We're super blessed to be able to be, meet with him today and to talk about coaching from the heart and what emerging leaders like us can do to better employ coaching from the heart in our leadership strategies as we move forward. With that, I'm going to start off with a really hard question, one that's really been burning in my mind here. <laughs> so, so I pardon, please pardon me for the hard question out the gate, but hopefully it'll help us out as we move forward. Okay. As, as young Tony was going through high school and living his life and later on into upper education, I call it upper education. Some, some people call it college, depending right. on how much you paid for it. Um, but as young Tony moved into that world, what pushed Tony into the world of coaching? <laughs> yeah, well, that's an interesting story. So when I was in those days, coaching didn't exist. You know, I that's was right. shortly <laughs> after college. I was, you know, young and full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and full of myself. I was had a part time job and was doing 40 hours a week of volunteer ministry and running around the country with a band and all this kind of stuff. I, I got this job my that at first allowed me to do all my gallivanting, but then grew over time. But I took a job as a draftsman. And then a couple of years later, it was at a custom furniture company. The designer left. And so I volunteered to take over. He was full time and I was half time. And I volunteered to take over his responsibilities and go to, you know, 28 hours a week, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of insane. <laughs> It's <laughs> a big job. Um, but I thrived in that job. It was hard because I was always behind. But I remember just about every year asking God, you know, can I get out of this secular job now and do what I was born to do? And every year he said no. <laughs> and <laughs> you'd think I got would have got tired of asking, but I didn't. Um <laughs> But this is the key. Yeah, yeah. The, the really funny thing is later on, you know, maybe 10 years after I got out of that job, I suddenly realized that that was the perfect training for being a coach because my job as a designer, um, wealthy, headstrong people would come in and tell me what they wanted. But they didn't have the language to express. They didn't know cabriole legs uh. and, you know, broken pediments and all the, the technical furniture language, they had a dream in their head. And it was my job to pull that dream out and put it on paper for them. And so I had to ask lots of questions. And a lot of my, you know, what I recognize now is that my early coach training was in my secular job as a furniture designer. That's where I learned not just to ask questions, but to believe in people. You know, it, it wasn't my job to give them what I wanted them to have. 
it was my job to figure out what they wanted and give them that. And so it, it put the mindset of coaching into me in a way that, that when I finally got acquainted with coaching, it was easy to make that switch. Wow. So that was my, my inadvertent training for coaching that I didn't <laughs> recognize the wisdom of God at the time. That is some infinite wisdom he has. That's awesome. I never would have put those two together. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Um, one of the things you said in there really jumped out to me really early on. You said you were in a band. So uh -huh. What kind of band were you in? What music did you play? I know this isn't on topic. It's just Yeah, we, we traveled around and did worship renewal in Mennonite churches. Um, wow. I come from a Mennonite background. <laughs> so we would pile into a van on Friday night after work and drive all night and do several programs over the weekend and then drive all night and go back to work. On <laughs> awesome. I felt like I was living the radical life for Jesus and that's what I wanted to do. That's awesome. And then you ended up getting into coaching at a furniture store on top of that. That's amazing. God finds a way to put us where he wants us so mm -hmm. that we can become what he wants us to be, so long as we're willing to listen and obey. And that's a perfect example of that. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing yeah. that with us. One of the questions I had in reading one of your books, the best-selling leadership coaching book, you talk about coaching as a ministry and that coaching is effective because you zero in on the place where God is working in the client's life. What parts of ministry mirror coaching and how does that zero in on the place where God is working? Well, um, as for the first part, ministry is serving. Yeah, that's where the word comes from. Coaching is serving people. It's helping them achieve what they want to achieve. Now, the second part of your question was, how does that help zero in on what God wants for them? How does that help us and them zero in? One of the things that's challenging, particularly when you get into coaching, is it's very other-centered. Um, it's possible to do ministry in a way that's very self-centered. <laughs> Somebody comes up to the front, I hear their need and out of my own wisdom, I tell them what to do. And then I have an encounter with God in prayer for them. And I go away and carve a notch on my Bible that I've successfully ministered. Coaching sort of, it, it takes away a lot of the things you get out of doing ministry. You don't get to tell them what to do. You don't get to be the expert. And and one of the things you find when you're training to be a coach is the we sort of instinctively feel like our value in a conversation, a helping conversation, is my ability to offer advice and solutions. And when I can't offer advice and solutions anymore, I feel valueless. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a very real dying to self that happens in that to say, okay, this is not about me feeling good about ministering or me feeling good about giving you something. It's about me helping you engage with God. It's about me helping you figure the thing out. And so I have to decrease so that they can increase, just like John the Baptist did. Mm -hmm. So it, it calls you as a coach to, you know, we, we don't tend to use the biblical language in these places, but it, it calls you as a coach to sacrifice some of your own getting your jollies to do ministry so that people can get a great outcome. 
Now, am I answering your question there, or do you oh, want to? That was a great answer. <laughs> that was a great answer. I never really thought of it that way. Um, and all the coach training that I've been to is that, yeah, you do for, you have to give up a part of yourself in order to do that. So right. that's really another piece of this maybe is so that the style of coaching I use now is very different than what I did 10 years ago. I've spent the last 10 years developing a, a school around the idea of coaching the heart. And one of the central ideas is that behavior comes from desires for things like security and peace and significance. And what we tend to do is we attach our heart to something in the world that we think will give us that. So, you know, a person comes and, you know, I want to get a new job. I want to make more money and feel, you know, the, the desire question is, what does that give you? If you had that new job, well, it would give me a sense of being valuable that, that I'm really worthwhile. So in, then in that conversation, in a sense, the, the real issue is my desire for value. I think I can get it through the job, which may or may not be a good thing or God's will for me. But the fundamental question is, I'm looking for value from a job. Um, that is ultimately not going to work. <laughs> and so since you put work, it that way, yeah, yeah. And in fact, what I've discovered is when you attach your desire to something in this world, it actually works against you and keeps you from getting your desire. Oh. So you take that job out of the need to be valued. And so you you know, what do you do? You volunteer for everything, you overwork, you burn out, you, you know, and then you find you can't even do the job because you've pushed yourself too hard and you lose it. It's the same thing with people who want to get married. I have this dream that marriage will give me belonging and security <laughs> and all these things. And so I start trying to get someone to give me those things. Well, what happens when you try to get a person to give you something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so your desires, when they're wrongly attached, work against you. So part of my role as a coach is to introduce people to, you know, you can get your desire from Jesus right now in five minutes. We can have an encounter with him where that happens. And, and you can see a whole different way to meet your desire. The work of the cross I help them do is to die to their attachments to the world and reattach their heart to Christ. As they do that, then, then we can go back to the goal. Sometimes the goal isn't important anymore because I got what I wanted. <laughs> Sometimes I need to pursue that goal for practical reasons, but now my heart is not attached to it. And so God is able to give it to me without it blowing my life up. A lot of what I'm helping people do now as a coach is align their hearts to Jesus to get the outcomes they are going after instead of directly pursuing something in the world. That's awesome. I've never heard it described in such a manner where it's, I'm going to use the term overtly towards Christ versus a subversive or a covert Christian right. maneuver, uh, because there's a lot of that out there, a lot of those covert yeah. Christian maneuvers. So do you that, want me that to, brings. Do you want me to take that a little farther? Yes, yes, I'd love to. Yeah. So one of the things I tried to do in the last ten years was I observed that most Christian coaching was a 
secular methodology bolted to a Christian value system. So that's that yep. subversive thing that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I set out to say, what does it look like to create a holy Christian methodology for coaching and not just, you know, the value system? Yeah. So what we do is we'll, as we're coaching people, help them drill down to what they desire, what they believe. And then the central part of the coaching process is for them to meet Jesus there. And we use this really simple methodology. We call it questions for Jesus. So sounds simple enough. If you want to get married, okay, what desire would it give you to get married? Well, belonging. Okay, well, let's take that and let Jesus speak to that right now. So then I'll give the client a question like, Jesus, how do I belong to you? Jesus, give me an image of, of what belonging to you looks like. Or Jesus, what does it mean to you that I belong to you? And we ask Jesus to speak directly to the desire. And what I've found is this is the easiest kind of prayer to learn <laughs> and to get an answer for. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and, sounds like and we give people 30 seconds to hear something because usually the first thing that comes into your heart is the best. And our biggest problem with hearing God is that we question what we get. But in the course of asking him a few of those questions, they will genuinely encounter Jesus and experience something in their hearts. And since your your heart and your emotional brain don't learn from words and concepts, they learn from experience and image. The way to change that part of a person is to give them an experience. So when I'm coaching the heart, I'm not saying, okay, what's your goal? What are your options? What actions are you going to take? I'm starting with, okay, what are you feeling about this? What's your emotion? The emotion will lead you down to your desire. And then as we fill the desire, things start to change in your heart. Wow, that sounds a whole lot faster and easier of a process <laughs> for coaching than really what I was taught in the secular coaching world and trying to apply it into the Christian coaching world where we're, we're asking questions about what they've done, what will they do, what can they do to move forward, and then after the fact, asking them why that's important to them. Yeah, and both of those are useful. I mean, if somebody comes and says, I need to get my garage cleaned up, if there's no big heart <laughs> thing attached to that, we just do the practical thing. Mm -hmm. But if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I feel stuck and frustrated by life, well, there's probably something you long for that you're not having. And we can come up with all kinds of practical ways to give you a substitute for what you need from God. Yeah. <laughs> or we can just go to God and get what you need. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I like the direct so, approach. That's, yeah. So I, <laughs> I use both. And the, the process of getting down to the heart often involves starting with some of the same kind of questioning techniques that you would traditionally use in coaching. It's just the starting point is different. If I'm, Doing rational coaching, I'm starting with a problem or a goal. If I'm doing heart coaching, usually I'm starting with an emotion. Mm. Because your emotion is a, if you try to get to the heart through the rational brain, often you get a rationalization of the heart. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. work. find excuses yeah. out of it. Yeah. Or our reasons aren't truly why we do what we do. They're reasons we came up after the fact to justify what we already did. <laughs> <laughs> True.
That is so true. That is awesome. Talking to Tony has been a truly unique and life-changing experience for me. I'm super excited to be able to start coaching to the emotion. Traditional coaching doesn't really get too much into the weeds about emotions. It touches on it here and there and, and focuses on why certain things or action steps are important to the person being coached. But coaching to the emotion opens up a whole new realm of possibilities for me, and I'm really excited to try to test them out. I couldn't help but wonder in my conversation with Tony what a coach could do that was limited in their ability to coach. There are a lot of coaches out there that are either not religious or they're unable to coach in a religious type manner or bring Christ into the conversation because they're prohibited by rules or regulations or laws during their coaching sessions. So I, I posed that question to Tony, and even though he admitted he wasn't the expert in that field because he's strictly a Christian coach, he did have some great insight to help coaches move forward in that regard. Well, it's not my area of expertise. I guess what I will say is, like, this is this is from a gal who used to, a Christian who used to lead the coaching program at IBM. She said, we'd start talking about work, then we'd talk about family and personal life, and we'd always end up talking about God. Um, <laughs> so yeah. even people who aren't Christians mostly in this country believe in God. And it's people, it's not that they don't like, they're not open to Jesus. They're not open to religion. And and part of the beauty of this approach is I'm not telling you about Jesus. I'm saying, hey, do you want to meet him yourself? <laughs> Just ask him this question. And whatever happens will be a transition between you and him, and I'm not even involved with it. People are less threatened when you're not telling them you need Jesus when they're saying, hey, would you like to meet him? Ask him this question. You know, there are places where that's not, you can't do that. I set out to create an overtly Christian methodology. And so it doesn't work without Jesus. And it doesn't, part of the reason it doesn't work is our desires are made to be met by God and he delights to fill them. And any other source of desire is ultimately going to be destructive. So yeah, it's limiting in that way. And I would probably go back to other coaching techniques and use more rational coaching with that person and unless or until they get to the point where they're ready for something like this. But but this has limitations and mm. that's part of it. That is. That's I really appreciated it and liked how you phrased that to go back to those other coaching methodologies, but that the most important part that stuck out to me was without Jesus involved, you eventually get led to a place where it doesn't fulfill what you're looking for. Right. And and that's where the important part comes in when you're coaching from the heart. Typically, I know when I first read the leadership coaching book and it said lead, uh, coaching from the heart in it, I was thinking it was coaching. If I'm coaching someone, I'm feeling for them. But I really appreciated and I really liked how that's not what it is. It's me helping them feel. Well, well, I've sort of evolved in the last 15 years too. So 
Because <laughs> what you explained is not exactly what's in the book. It's a great book, right. but I really like what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, this would be in the book, The Invitation. Okay. Leadership coaching is more of a, I'm going to call it traditional, even though coaching isn't very old, normal approach to coaching. Like when we're training people to do heart coaching, we teach them that stuff first. You know, learn to ask a question, mm -hmm. learn to do a goal and an option and action. Because after you coach somebody in the heart and they meet Jesus in their desire, like if their desire is for belonging, one of the problems is your heart leaks. So the next day, <laughs> you're still going to need belonging. So then the action plan often becomes, how do I continue to have these experiences? Or I've taken a new belief, you know, a core belief. How do I reinforce that belief in my life? And it's the process of implementing the action step is the same as in leadership coaching. It's just a different kind of action step. So that makes that makes total sense. From a, a leadership perspective, how can I as a leader apply that when everything I am fo focused with and focused on and focused towards is a numbers-based, more cynical reality? You know, the, the business wants to make the numbers. We got to meet the profit deadline. And we have a time constraint on that. So yeah. how can I, as a coach, make those work? Yeah. And part <laughs> of the problem with a question like that is if you assume the goal is secular and I have to meet it, then you as a Christian are constrained in what you can do. A good way to put this is what is God going to evaluate me for as a leader? Oh. Am I going to be evaluated for what I accomplish? Am I going to be evaluated for how few bodies I trample over on the way to my goal. I think leading from the heart is a different kind of, I, I personally think that God will much more evaluate me as a leader on how I stewarded the lives and the destinies of the people that I led, as opposed to what I accomplished. So I had two of my assistants leave me for their dream jobs and I was sad to see them go, but I coached both of them into finding their dream jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I think leading from the heart is about, that I care more about you than about the outcome. That, and I care in a way that's not just making you comfortable, but making you who God made you to be. And I think as you do that, you'll get results because people will love to work for you. And <laughs> people who love to be at work produce better results than people who are just there for the paycheck. But I think as Christians, one of our problems in coaching is that we started, it started in the secular world and then we figured it out. We mm -hmm. took a lot of things from the secular world of coaching. And one of the things we took is some of these underlying assumptions, like live your best life now, follow your bliss, pursue your dream. Are those in the New Testament? No. No. Calling is a commission from God for others. And, and so the, the whole idea that I can find who I was born to be and find fulfillment in pursuing what's in my gut there's a portion of that because we were made for something. But if you don't have the fundamental idea underneath that, that you were made for heaven, not for earth. And, mm -hmm. and that's the goal that you're pursuing. And, and you're living for that life, not for a better life here. 
and therefore you will suffer and sacrifice here because of the joy set before you. That's somehow we got to figure out how to integrate coaching toward heaven into to what we do. Because if we're just coaching for a better life on earth, that's fundamentally selfish and fundamentally unlike Jesus. That's a big idea, and I haven't totally sorted it out. But, you know, if your sense of call doesn't involve suffering and sacrifice, how are you ever going to be like Jesus? Oh, I agree. Because it's totally unlike him. I totally agree. We can't expect to get the same gifts and the benefits that the ancient prophets did if we're not if we're not willing to go through the same things that they did for Christ and for right. the gospel. Uh, we can't expect to just we show up in heaven and God passes out a bunch of cotton candy to people and says, thanks for praying in the pews and doing nothing else. Uh, he wants us to do something with it. That was yeah. some really, just for me, that was really impactful and eye-opening the way you were describing that because there are, in coaching, a lot of built-in, I'll call them new age fundamentals where we're focusing inward and, mm -hmm. you know, how can I make myself better? But Christian coaching from the heart is it's all outward facing at that point. Yeah. And, and, and that's awesome. Like the book, the leader's life coaching handbook that I wrote um, includes a calling model where you look at your life experience and what it's prepared you for. You look at your, your, the innate you, your gifts, your personality type, whatever. Um, you look at your passions, what you want to do, but you also look at calling specifically what has been revealed to me by God about what he has for me. So I think those, there's truth in, in that idea that God has planted something in me that comes out when I'm doing what I'm born to do, but that has to be part of a larger concept. <laughs> you can't just do that. That's remarkable. Like for me, that's groundbreaking. So I have a couple questions for you okay. here towards the end, because we've covered a lot of ground today so far. And I want to make sure we get these couple questions. Okay. In. What, what advice would you share with a new leader that's trying to grow into leadership coaching from the heart? You know, obviously the number one advice is practice. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get enough reps to be good at this. And, mm -hmm. you know, coaching one person is, or two is not going to give you a high skill level. At a heart level, you know, most people who go through coach training want to start a business or be a coach, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And one of the primary questions I get is, who should I coach? What issues should I coach? And people are often looking at that from a marketing perspective. I tend to look at that and say, okay, what you should do is identify your life message and coach that. Because your life message is the part of your life where you've most deeply met Jesus and where he's most incarnate in you. And the idea is simple where there's the most of Jesus in you, you think it'll have the biggest impact. <laughs> and people are drawn to your life message and you're drawn to them. So my life message is about meeting God and suffering. There's nothing that can happen to you that God won't make something beautiful out of. So I attract people who just lost their jobs and <laughs> <laughs> you know, and whose houses have burned down and who's got kicked out of their churches. Um, We're currently suffering. Yeah, they, they're attracted to me and I'm attracted to them. And I know what to ask because I've been there. And, 
you can coach anything, quote unquote, but to coach with the maximum effects, the more of Jesus that's present, the better. So awesome. figure out what your life message is and coach people who need that. I like that. That's really, really good. That's a big, that's a different approach than, um, than what we're typically taught as coaches on how to find our, our coaching elements. So thank you. That's awesome. Okay. This one's going to be kind of a hard one. And then I'll ask a real uh, short one. So we got two left. What is the legacy that Tony wants to leave behind? Well, um, it's a poignant question for me right now because I just passed on my coaching organization a year ago to a couple of my trainers oh. um, and took a long sabbatical in the last season. My house burned down in a forest fire. Um, my kids both had really difficult seasons. Um, I, there were some painful struggles in our marriage. My best friend died on the one year anniversary of the fire on the way to his funeral. My mother-in-law died. <laughs> it's been one painful thing after another. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. And so, you know, at one level, you know, I'm asking myself that question. I'm 61. Um, I have a really nice life. I don't need money. I, uh, you know, what am I going to do? And I've clearly, it's, it's taken me a long time to recover from all that. It's been almost, a, well, a year and three months, and I still have a ways to go, which is grading again at one level. At another level, I've been through enough transitions to know there's, there's parts of transition where you can ask God what's next until you're blue in the face and he won't tell you jack squat. True. Um, <laughs> True. And I'm still sort of in that place. So just being able to relax and enjoy it is the, the mandate of the season. So what will be my legacy? I think earlier in life I had dreams that involved numbers and accomplishments and stuff. And I'm starting to, you know, God is speaking to me more about, I think every, every destiny is multi-generational, that your call started before you were born with other people and it will end after you die. Amen. <laughs> and that, that there's, there's an aspect of my legacy that will just be ideas that I've put into other people that they will take farther than I did. Yeah. My hope is that some of these ideas about what it means to coach the heart will become bigger as other people take them up. I think another part of my legacy, another thing that Jesus is speaking to me about is just, you know, you worked hard over the last 10 years. I'd like to just have some years where we enjoy each other. Um, <laughs> and there's a, a big legacy in who you become. I think of legacy more in terms of what does God think of me than in terms of what do people think of me mm -hmm. and, and all the choices I've made over life and the good things and the sacrifices, there's a whole legacy within our relationship that's dear and, and beautiful to him. Oh my goodness. I was so touched by Tony's conversation about the trials that he and his family have had to endure. 
I nearly came to tears in our conversation, and I really was at a loss for words. Because of the great caring spirit that Tony has and that he exhibited during our, our discussion today. And, and I'm glad that we were able to continue on in our conversation. He truly is an amazing person. And he exemplifies the conversation that he and I had earlier when we talked about how we can't expect to receive the same blessings as the prophets who suffered so greatly through their lives if we don't have the same or a similar level of suffering for Christ's sake. And truly, Tony exemplified that today in our conversation. I was truly honored and touched by his candor and by his warmth and his emotion and for his trusting me with the opportunity to carry on and hold that conversation about such sensitive topics. If I could add one more thing to that, I think that's part of what it means to lead from the heart is to to give people a picture of what the different seasons of life is. That's a real picture of the the consolations and the struggles and the you know not hide it all behind a facade, but be able to say, okay, this is what life is really like. So anyway, go ahead. Your last question. That's true. There are seasons, and I have to remind myself of that all the time. So. So is there, not to detract from this, uh, this conversation, because I, I do have a lot of questions I'd like to ask on that, on overcoming and dealing with the, the trials and the troubles that you've been faced with. We don't have time for that today. Maybe another time. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so what I'll do now is we'll close up. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking time to meet with me okay. and to answer these questions that I've had and to really give me a whole different perspective on coaching from what I've had previously. So first, thank you so much for that. And this has been a life-changing event for me. Number two, is there any project or anything that Tony's working on right now that you'd like to share with me or with any of the, the listeners on our podcast? Yeah, what I'm working on right now is how to read the Bible like a human being. Um, <laughs> and that sounds it's a, interesting. <laughs> it's a Bible study methodology that's studying the Bible from the heart and not the head. And what we're trying to do is experience what people experience. They were real people. Um, Jesus was human as well as divine. Um, and And also to look at the Bible more less theologically we get so theological about the bible like when jesus meets the disciples on the beach after his resurrection you know they've been fishing all night and they've caught nothing then they get the great catch um and they realize that it's jesus so peter who's stripped for work in other words either naked or just with a loincloth on him puts his shirt back on and jumps into the water and swims 100 yards to shore so when jesus meets peter on the shore what do they look like well, Peter's sopping wet <laughs> and out of breath <laughs> and cold <laughs> and hungry and tired and also excited. And the other question is, where did they meet? Did Jesus wait for Peter to swim the 100 yards and walk up the beach? And I realized my, my childhood picture of that was always that, that Jesus just sort of waiting for Peter to get there. Mm -hmm. And when we did this in our studies, people were like, 
you know, when they envisioned it, they were like, no, Jesus waded into the water to meet him. And I was like, exactly. Jesus didn't stay in heaven and wait for us to get up to him. He stripped himself and came down. So the Jesus that I know would have waded out into the lake to give Peter a hug. And and you realize you have these pictures that you developed in Sunday school of what the Bible is like. Mm-hmm. And, and those pictures give you an idea of who Jesus is that's wrong because your picture is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I want people to to get into one of the things we do in this Bible study is we actually each person takes a character in the story and they write a narrative, a story from that person's perspective of what happened. And they're incredible insights about what people felt, why they did what they did that come out of getting into the, the Bible as story. So anyway, that's what I'm working on right now. Hopefully in the next year, there'll be a Bible study series and book and, videos from my trip to Israel and all that stuff. Oh, wow. That'll be awesome. That, that sounds really awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's, I like that. That's really, that's a totally different approach. A lot of different approaches that I've learned about today. Yeah, so that's good. And when you're done with those videos and you have some study programs, would you please uh, hit us up with some links so we can pass those out to okay. myself and others that may be interested? So, well, thank you so much, Tony, for talking with us today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule and, and being so heart, heartfelt and real with us and, and demonstrating how coaching from the heart works and helping us to become better coaches and leaders all together. Thanks. I should also give you a quick mention of leadership metaformation i'm i've passed this off to my trainers but we offer coach training specifically in coaching the heart using the techniques that i talked about here today okay where can we go if we want to get into that is it is that the website yeah just meta-formation.com m-e-t-a hyphen formation i'll tell you all about it thanks well we would love to do that As I said before, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for what you've done. And till then, we'll sign off. Talking with Tony was a unique spiritual experience. In today's discussion, we found several hidden treasures regarding coaching the heart and leadership. Tony shared that coaching is like ministry. Ministry, however, can be selfish and about the amazing minister. But coaching forces coaches to be other-focused. Coaching calls you to give up your glory on behalf of another. It also gets to the heart and the center of the fundamentals desired, not just a problem-solving approach. When we attach desires to something secular, the opposite tends to happen than what we actually wanted. When we want more money, for example, we work more and have less time to spend that money. When we attach all our desires to Christ, we can gain more than we ever thought possible. Traditional coaching coaches to problems, while heart coaching coaches to emotions that drive our behavior. God wants to fulfill all our desires if we serve him without serving them. They will become destructive and empty. As a leader and a coach, if you assume the goal is secular, then you constrain the outcome. Tony encouraged leaders to Ask what God will evaluate them for as a leader. He's more likely to evaluate me for the lives I helped change and set right 
than for the goals I achieved or the deadlines I met. Heart coaching holds a few contrasting differences from traditional coaching. Traditional coaching certainly has its place in areas or workplaces where religious discussion is prohibited. However, traditional coaching speaks to living your best life and fulfilling your dreams. Heart coaching, on the other hand, focuses your goals on your calling and commission from God. We need to help our clients find what God made them for and coach them towards heaven. If we coach towards earth, it's selfish and against the teachings of Jesus and initially or inevitably leads to destruction. Lastly, Tony shared that practice makes perfect. Coaches must practice, leaders must practice too. He encouraged leaders and coaches alike to find their life message where they are closest to Jesus and work for that. Your message will then attract. The more of Jesus that's within you, the better and more powerful your message will be. Coaching the heart is about showing people the seasons in life and helping them find God and a way forward. If you found as many treasures as I did in this excursion with Tony, please join me next time as I continue the hunt for leadership treasures. <laughs>